Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a conversation with a JFK assassination researcher and chronicler of America's hidden history discusses his critically acclaimed science fiction fantasy novel, The Unreals. I was also deeply influenced in this book by Illuminatus, the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Jay. But they throw a lot of faction, and all my fiction has a lot of faction in it. I mean, in, in their book, they have George Washington being killed and Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati, taking his place as the president. They have all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So that kind of stuff appeals to me. So I think I was trying to hopefully write entertaining science fiction. And again, science fiction as opposed to fiction lets you play around with the laws of time and space. And that's, I like to be in that niche where the twilight zone is this podcast is brought to you by paranormal contractors you'd be shocked to know how many people are experiencing some kind of paranormal activity in their home or business it's not something that's discussed in public for fear of ridicule but it is happening maybe it's even happening to you or someone you love make no mistake this is a serious matter and my good friends at paranormal contractors treat it with the seriousness it deserves Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They'll come to your home with the latest and best technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Why not put your mind at rest and take that first step right now? Call them at 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Happy Wednesday, friends. Let me ask you, has spring arrived where you are? Have you been out maybe raking and cleaning up, maybe getting a little dirt under your fingernails? Hockey playoffs are starting tonight, and the baseball season is still so young that everybody is still a contender. It's a great time of year. Now, do me a favor. If you haven't already, please take a little time and rate and review Conspiracy Unlimited, wherever you happen to listen, because that increases this podcast's visibility and it moves it up in the rankings. And that means more people can find Conspiracy Unlimited. And by the way, since we launched back in December 2017, we are just shy of two and a half million unique downloads. So thanks to all of you subscribers who have stuck with me right from the beginning. Today's episode is admittedly a departure from the usual fare. Uh, Regular listeners to this podcast expect conversations with uh, ex-military, ex-intelligence personnel, researchers of all sorts, alien abductees, ghost hunters, uh, inventors of free energy devices, etc. It's very rare indeed for me to interview someone about a piece of fiction. But if you're an amateur JFK assassination sleuth, or you're into time travel, or you're um, a regular reader of the Fortean Times, or you're a fan of the Twilight Zone, then I 
I'm confident you're going to enjoy The Unreals. It's a sci-fi fantasy written by my guest. You probably know Don Jeffries from his cult classic nonfiction tome, Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics uh, with a foreword by the nefarious Roger Stone. And uh, I had the great honor and pleasure of writing the foreword for Don's most recent book, Survival of the Richest. Well, over a decade ago, Don published his wonderful sci-fi fantasy novel that has been described as The Wizard of Oz Meets the Twilight Zone. And Don, as a writer, has been compared to Kurt Vonnegut and Thomas Pynchon, the author of Gravity's Rainbow. Uh, Let me read from a review on Amazon.com from a T. Peter. In the Unreals, Donald Jeffries has crafted at once a rollicking fantasy adventure with surrealistically bizarre characters, settings, and situations, a funny yet thought-provoking serious social satire, and a contrarian anarchist manifesto that will often infuriate liberals and conservatives alike. Conservatives alike, depicting a cross-country journey in 1987 from the Washington, D.C. suburbs to a mental institution in Iowa by a band of quirky, unclassifiable eccentrics and free spirits, whom he ironically but affectionately calls unreals. Jeffries does not spare what he considers fashionable liberal political correctness, while also both mercilessly and gleefully skewering the yuppie media and corporate capitalist order of disco. (laughs) Don Jeffries, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Fine. Thanks for having me back, Richard. The unreals is sort of science fiction fantasy, but we know you mainly because of your work in sort of delving into the, uh, I guess, political subterfuge and uh, the underbelly of uh, American uh, politics and and, uh, history and so forth. What possessed you uh, to write uh, a piece of science fantasy fiction? Well, I, you know, actually, I, that's, I've always considered myself more of a novelist, and uh, that was my baby. I mean, I started writing it a long time ago, and it wasn't published till 2007, and it was the first thing I had published by a little, a small, now defunct publisher out in California. Uh, a second edition of that was put out uh, a few years back by a, a local publisher here, so I still having, and I, I have other novels that I've completed that I think are really good, and, and uh, you know, I'm more sophisticated as a writer now, but I, I Tended to, to be that kind of a writer, to write literary fiction, science fiction, things like that, and kind of play around with uh, concepts like a, a lot of writers do. I was very influenced by somebody like Kurt Vonnegut. I loved his stuff, and I, I, I kind of bounce around like, like he does. And uh, but because I had such little luck in, in getting people to respond to my fiction agents or publishers. I, that's where hidden history came from. I just kind of said, you know, I've got I've got all these notes for all the books I've read over the years. I know the subject matter. Let me try nonfiction. So uh, it was kind of accidental how I just kind of switched to that, and I, you know, I was kind of shocked that it, it it got picked up pretty quickly. And then uh, Survival of the Wretches, the same publisher, and I have another one coming out uh, in a couple months. Um, it's basically hidden history too. It's called Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776-1963. And I have a book about bullying in schools from another publisher that's coming out later this year. So where I still have a couple of my other novels that I think are both really good that I'm marketing and trying to get people to read. So it's it, it's kind of happened accidentally that I switched to because I'm obviously concerned about all these issues. But I, I do consider myself, you know, I, having read so much in my life and admiring Dickens and Orwell and Bram Stoker and uh, 
uh, you know, and uh, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Ambrose Bierce, people like that. Those are my favorite writers. Uh, that's what I wanted to be. But um, hopefully, I can get more fiction published. But in the meantime, I'm I'm enjoying the fact that uh, that people are publishing my nonfiction and readers are uh, reading it. There's a an old saying, and I can't remember who who said it, but it, it's something like that. We we really we tell ourselves the truth through through fiction. Do you, do you believe in that? And, and, and because I know in the Unreals, there's tons of references and allusions to the JFK assassination, and we'll yes. get into that. But I mean, is it part allegory? Yeah, I think you know. Again, the reason I was drawn to those kind of writers is because I th- I think you can say so much more in fiction than you can in nonfiction, and you can uh, not necessarily uh, not getting trouble over it or whatever, but um, for instance, something like 1984, which is my favorite novel of all time, I, I don't think that would have worked as a piece of nonfiction if Orwell had just written a critique of the state and uh, the dangers of totalitarianism. I think the, he wrote it the way he wrote it with his, uh, you know, his fantastic concepts, which have come true, you know, thought police, memory hole, and, and you know, Big Brother and all that. I, I think that made it more powerful, and um, I've, I admire other writers. Uh, Thomas Pynchon, the writer who wrote *Gravity's Rainbow*. I mean, that's that was another book that influenced me uh, tremendously. But it was, in fact, that's where the title *The Unreals* came from. The concept of *Unreals* comes from a scene in *Gravity's Rainbow*, where uh, one of the characters, a general, meets the the uh, the main character is kind of an escaped mental patient, and he uh, he kind of alludes to the concept of some people being real and some being not real. And I thought that's just a wonderful concept, and so I kind of played with that. And uh, it, that kind of surrealistic thing about not being sure what's real and unreal—it's a Twilight Zone thing. Like, is in all my fiction. Like, I, I tell everybody, no matter what. I mean, I write short stories and things like that too. And whatever I write. <clears throat> I eventually wander over in the Twilight Zone, very, very influenced by Rod Serling and, and his show. And I just, I, I love that idea of playing around with reality where uh, everything appears normal, but it's not. And, and these kind of uh, altering concepts where, you know, what is going on? I love that. And that's where I, probably why I have a hard time. I can't write niche fiction or something where that I, I just have to write what interests me. And uh, it's literary fiction, but it has that Twilight Zone twist. And um, so, I, yeah, I definitely, I, w- writing the unreals, I was saying stuff, obviously, in there through my characters, like all writers do. But I was doing it with the concept of, well, I didn't, with the idea that I, I never expected that I would necessarily be having an audience to say it in a nonfiction form. Waldo Billingsley and his um, and his grandfather, uh, who disappears mysteriously and leaves Waldo sort of a good a goodbye note. Sort of pick up the story from there and and uh, just give us kind of a synopsis of what what it's all about. Well, it it uh, now. The, the, as everybody says, the first first novel is, is always autobiographical, and there's <clears throat> Waldo Billingsley. A lot of my character is in Waldo Billingsley, uh, but not not all. But a, a lot of and, and some of my other personality is, is is divided into the other characters. But I I never knew either of my grandfathers, <clears throat> so maybe that's why I chose a grandfather to kind of be the uh, the, the figure there, and uh, for him the paternal figure because his parents had died, and. He raised him, and so Waldo is, uh, is again, kind of a, uh, a sheltered um, 
Abner Old Haas Billings, and the name Old Haas came from my, one of my favorite old baseball players. I read about Old Haas Radburn, and if you read the book, you know it, it comes. There's there's a scene there where I kind of uh, empty out my fascination with really old ball players pre 1900, and I, I have a bunch of names that I drop in there that were real players, and uh, I just kind of have them go to a strange place uh, where <clears throat> these players these ghosts from the past exist so i I like to do that and so uh old haas billingsley is this radical guy who has uh who made money in the stock market when he was younger so he's never really worked and all the characters they're kind of outside the workforce they're all very eccentric i introduced the afro anarchist later and a a couple of their characters uh that You'll notice none of them are, are seem to be very industrious, or they're not, they're not working for whatever reason. And so they're, uh, but in, in Waldo's case, he was being supported obviously by his grandfather, who had made money in the stock market, and they live a nice lifestyle. And he was, he's been influenced by his thinking, and so he's wandered off into the conspiratorial world. And so I, you know, I, I not only have JFK assassination and political stuff, but I also which I haven't tackled in my nonfiction writing yet. And I, I will have a book like that down the line. I've kind of already started on it where I'm very fascinated with unexplained phenomena, thus the disappearances. And the disappearances run throughout all my fiction. I, I'm fascinated by that concept of right. mysterious The disappearing time-traveling cornfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And time travel too. I'm, 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 you know, like a lot of people. I, from the time I was a child, I, I would seek out any fiction that had a time travel element to it. And so I, I'm really fascinated with that. Playing around with time, reality, people vanishing, and, and maybe popping up again somewhere. But I, I like Fortean phenomena, and Charles Fort is a very deep influence on myself as well. Uh, another uh, a writer who I think turned to nonfiction because uh, his fiction was not immediately embraced, and he supposedly wrote two fantastic. I would have loved to have read these the, the sci-fi novels because if anybody's read the Book of the Damned or Low or Charles Charles Fort's books, he had a, just you talk about an imagination for a nonfiction writer. So I can't imagine what kind of fiction he produced, but he apparently burned them in anger, and they've. Uh, those are the only manuscripts, I guess, so nobody nobody knows where they're at. But Fortean, the Fortean Society is, is still exists today, and you have Forteans all over the world who um, study unexplained phenomena like disappearances, spontaneous human combustion, um, UFOs, obviously, just any anything that doesn't fit a strange falls from the sky, uh, you know, Fort categorized, uh, uh, tabulated. What, what he did is you talk about a, a labor of odd love. He would go every day for like 20-some, maybe 30-some years to the New York Public Library, the the London Public Library, wherever he was living at the time. And he would go into their reference room, and he would go through all these old scientific journals and magazines, um, usually from the 1800s. And he would would look for any loopholes in, in science. Uh, so he would he would find all these falls of blood from the sky, fish from the sky, toads from the sky, rocks from the sky, these isolated showers that couldn't be explained. Uh, disappearances, spontaneous human combustion. The first accounts, he wasn't calling them UFOs yet or flying saucers, but the first accounts of what clearly were some type of UFOs. Things like that, and it's, it's it's and he was also fond of uh, poking at astronomers, which I really love too, because I, I think scientists are are priests in effect in our age, and I think they're right. very they're very fallible. And and Fort would, uh, in fact, one of his books he just tabulates all the incorrect predictions of astronomers for just various things and how they would they would the hilarious explanations for why they're wrong, and we still see that today. I wonder what I wonder what Charles Fort would make of climate scientists. 
Oh, he he would have a field day. He would he would Charles Fort would be he would be so wonderful. He he'd be the biggest star in the conspiracy world. He he'd have a huge YouTube. He'd have a huge podcast and I mean, I don't know what kind of person if he could talk well or whatever, but he was so interesting <clears throat> that uh I think people would uh, would just flock to him because, especially in today's, you know, when you're, we get things like flat Earth and things like that, where he he kind of alluded to that because he was he was in, in simulate we're living in a simulation that kind of thing where people now younger people are grasping to figure out what's really going on and they 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 know we've been lied to about everything politically, so we have been lied to about have we been lied to about where we're even at? I mean, are we on a flat Earth? Are we on a hollow Earth? Are we in a computer simulation? These are all theories that are that are becoming popular out there. And I think Fort Fort played around with that. I mean, he, he was fond of saying, I don't believe anything of my, my of my own that I've ever written. And he would kind of, that was was so charming about him to me, is reading, he's very self-effacing and he kind of makes fun of himself as he's speculating. But I think that's all any of us can do. And so that's, in, in the Unreals, I tried to, uh, his influence pops up definitely there. I mentioned him several times. And Ambrose Bierce is another guy that who was, uh, I was very influenced by it because he was one of the first, you know, very famous uh, fiction writer, writer of short stories, and he's probably the most famous person that ever disappeared. And it was ironic because he he wrote about disappearances in his short stories. I think Rod Serling could appreciate that, mm. and it certainly fascinated me. So I have him pop up uh, it, it, every so often in the uh, in the Unreal's as well. So the um, the allusions to uh I guess baseball players from the let's call it the dead ball era. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, where how does that fit in to sort of the the uh, this the story of of Waldo trying to find his his grandfather? Well, you know, I think it's just it's just because Waldo's it's it, as he's going. I mean, people have um, have compared it to the Wizard of Oz and things like that. He, he's on this journey. And I think he's running into various aspects of his personality. Uh, the, the old, the dead ball era is something he got from his grandfather. And obviously it's part of my personality. I mean, I got not the dead ball. It didn't go back that far, but my, my dad loved old time baseball. So I kind of got that from him. And as, from the time I was a little kid, I was kind of a rain man type where I could, you know, I would be six or seven years old and I, I could, I could name every batting average for every player in the league. I'd already memorized lots of stats from uh, old hall of famers that died way before I I was born. It was just something I had in my head, these statistics. So, and I played baseball a lot. I loved baseball for a long time. So it, that I just kind of threw that in there because it's a personal interest of mine. Yeah, it doesn't really fit in any kind of, but I, I kind of gave it a conspiratorial twist where if you, you read that section, it's like, you know, what's really going on there is kind of a sinister aspect there. There's some sinister characters around that. And obviously what everything that they're encountering because they're going down roads and, and, and finding signs that don't exist and disappear. And then they go on roads for a long time that just, wander along and they're almost like a cartoonish element where it's an old Hanna-Barbera cartoon where they're passing the same scenery over and over again <clears throat> and eventually suddenly they'll come somewhere so you know that's it's the same kind of quality I admire in Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz I just kind of threw that in it just has all these kind of political and and elements with it so I I you know, it's it's been called an adult fairy tale, extremely adult fairy tale too. It has it has those aspects of it. So yeah, a lot of the stuff I threw in there because it just it interests me. You know, but baseball also, particularly that era. You know, it speaks to it's pure Americana. It it speaks to a a nostalgia, a bygone era, an innocence, a sort of a purity. 
Uh, you know, George Will always talking about baseball is life. Um, I mean, do you, do you, are you nostalgic for, I mean, obviously you weren't around in the 1930s. I know how old, I know how old you are. You're not that old, but I mean, that, that bygone era, uh, and you know, some of the great names in baseball, like, um, Rabbit Moranville and yeah. and and yes. man um, uh, Ducky Medwick and all yeah, these. three fingers brown. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we don't have nicknames anymore. No, uh, but, but just talk to me a little bit about whether that you know that nostalgia for that bygone era and innocence, although it wasn't necessarily so, but we sort of perceive it that way. Whether that sort of informs your not only your writing but just your view of America today. Yeah, oh, there's definitely a sentimental, nostalgic streak in me. I mean, I, I don't know that, that that America was ever like that. I mean, a lot of it's and it's a lot of it's from my love of old movies, love of Frank Capra movies and things like that. I mean, I, Frank Capra is another huge influence on me, and uh, it kind of uh, it, it kind of offsets Ambrose Bierce's cynicism with, with Frank Capra's Capricorn, as they call it. You know, these these uplifting, kind of unrealistic fairy tale endings, little guy triumphing over the forces of evil. But yeah, I, I think that. Uh, baseball. I've always admired baseball just as, as being my favorite sport to play and um, watch for a while. I've kind of gone away from sports about it. I can't really watch any because they're not pure anymore. You know, and I just kind of criticize the, the what I think is the lack of fundamental skills of the players now and the games have changed so much. But um, yeah, back in that era, I, I think it was it kind of represented uh, America 1.0, as we call it, you know, kind of the, the America that once existed. And there, there is, uh, I mean, again, I'm sure there was, it's not as, it's, you know, it's not like, uh, just like the Cleaver family wasn't, you know, there were, weren't very many of those in America in the late 50s, but it kind of represents symbolically, I think, something that was there. So there, there's definitely, for somebody that's very progressive on a lot of issues like I am, yeah, I have a real... A nostalgic streak where I, I lo- and I love love the past, and again, I think that's the time travel aspect of it. I love history, and I, I'm interested in all that. So I'm, I'm, um, I always kind of go there, you know, and explore because things that you know, obviously, what happens in the past leads to the present, and uh, obviously has an impact on the future. So I think it's important, uh, like Santayana said, that we uh, don't forget the past lest we repeat it. Hey, last week, I welcomed a brand new sponsor to Conspiracy Unlimited, Ancient Life Oil. And I told you about their non-GMO organic CBD oil. This remarkable CBD oil is made from organic hemp, and it's blended with three different oils for maximum absorption. You know it's true what they say about great things coming in small packages. Well, one little bottle of CBD oil can be such a big relief. In fact, it's helpful for every part of your body. If you suffer from anxiety and stress, and hey, who doesn't? You really owe it to yourself to try this CBD oil from Ancient Life Oil. Go to ancientlifeoil.com and check out their newly reduced prices. Ancient Life Oil's mission is to pass on their savings to you. So, join the many people who've experienced Ancient Life Oil at ancientlifeoil.com. Ancient Life Oil, it's truly the Ferrari of CBD products. Theoretical Physics. 
physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Author Don Jeffries is here discussing his foray into sci-fi fantasy fiction. Getting back to the Kennedy assassination and the allusions to the Kennedy assassination, was that your sort of entree uh, into that field of JFK assassination re- research, uh, researching it for a piece of fiction, or were you pretty well versed in it before you started to write the Unreals? Oh no, I was I was well versed in it, and again, it was just trying to fit in. I just thought it would be kind of neat to play around with the names. And again, I realized I was dealing with a pretty limited audience because only people who really have studied the Kennedy assassination in some detail are going to – most of those names are going to Demore and Schult Lane and things like that. They're not going to mean something to the average person. But I thought once people got the idea, okay, this is – then I, th- I, thought, I thought maybe they think it was neat that this guy during one part of that trip, he's, uh, he's running into all these uh, obscure references to the Kennedy assassination. And again, is it part of it, you know, maybe if, if, if it ever got read enough and analyzed enough, people might say the same things about the Unreals that they said about Alice in Wonderland. A lot of the nonsense that goes on is it, are there drug references? Are the characters on drugs? Because that's what they said about, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland. Was it an allegory there? But it, it, I certainly didn't mean the Unreals to be that. It's, I just kind of played around with things and I, I threw things, like I have a lot of references to Bob Dylan and his lyrics and stuff. Just It's because I, I loved Dylan. And I analyzed his lyrics, and I, I did kind of play around with the idea that he had kind of a mysterious motorcycle accident in like '65 when he was very young, and his music, you know, kind of wasn't the same afterwards. It was so incredible up to that point, and so I don't think I'm the only one that maybe speculated that hey, I don't, I, don't, I just, and again, I just played around with that idea. Was it's did something, and that's what that's the kind of stuff you can say in fiction. I can't really, you can't really write that and sound rational. Like to say, you know, Bob Dylan was silenced, although he's still alive, that kind of thing. But in fiction, you can kind of play around with it. And that's the kind of thing I did with with everything in the end reels. I could play around with things and I had, I could have those those lists where uh, people that had been officially knocked off and it include people like Vince Lombardi. Just crazy stuff, really. But it was kind of, you know, just kind of because he represented the old guard, you know. that. Could, but, I mean, of course, you know, you can't really write that, but you can do that in fiction. And that's why I, I you know, that's why I like playing around with those things. And the uh, the disappearing cornfield, the time traveling cornfield. Tell me more about that. How does that figure into the unreals? Yeah, well, I just again, it was my time travel thing, and I uh, I came up with you know two young girls. Eventually, I wanted, and you know, this society has changed so much because when I first started writing this book, it was probably the eighties. When I first started, I mean, I, I crafted it and changed it and got it and made it much better over time. But so at the time, I, I actually wanted to make them underage. I just kind of thought that that would be appropriate because, you know, Waldo is this 28-year-old virgin. And again, that wasn't me, but it's he just kind of represented maybe that one side of me that could have been. And I figured, well, this is, this is probably the kind of female he's going to meet, somebody that's, you know, kind of quasi-unreal. We're not sure what's going on there and has a time-traveling cornfield to appeal to him because he's a historical junkie. And yeah, it's just, it's just part of the trip that somehow these two beautiful young girls, teenagers, uh, live on this this huge uh, f- 
farm, this piece of land where there's this cornfield that has uh, kind of, and again, that was influenced a little by A Wrinkle in Time, another one of my childhood favorites, uh, by Madeline Langle. I love that book. And I like the things she played around with it in there. And in fact, I've become cyber friends with her granddaughter, who's a writer as well, Lena Roy, the Madeline Langle's uh, granddaughter. But I thought, well, that's, I just kind of play, and I know I'm not scientific minded at all. So, yeah, it's probably impossible the way I described it that there are little pockets of the cornfield where, they, but these girls know how to slip in there and they can go to particular times by what parts of the cornfield they're in. So, yeah, it was almost like a childish way of doing that, but it's just, that's the way I had to do it because I'm not scientific and I, I didn't want it to appear really scientific, although it's science fiction. So, that's, you know, I, and that way it was a way to get, to get my characters to go back in time here or there. And I, so I have a few scenes uh, with them doing that. And along the, the way he falls in love with one of the uh, girls, and the girl's name is Jeannie. And I, I did rip, that's my wife's name. And so she was kind of pleased where I kind of, I, I made her, I told her I made you, you know, 16 year old twins you know, in, in, the, in the book. So she, but I, I kind of, I kind of based it on her. I put a lot of her personality into that and uh, the, the best parts of her personality. So I kind of made her into a, a dreamlike quality. But, um, but this was, you know, this is a guy who really had had no, and that's why when he's going out in the world, he's kind of like a virgin socially too, because he really had kind of been holed up. And uh, he, he meets the Afro-anarchist, this, this trio of doo protest singers. He meets this guy, Brisbane, who is a, and I got the name Brisbane from the Little Rascals. You know, <laughs> I'm a big Our Gang fan. and I don't never, remember Brisbane. Was he well, the, the rich kid? No, he was he was a uh, he wasn't in many episodes, and he had kind of a weird life afterwards where they couldn't find him for a long time, and I just thought his name was really cool, and I just I thought well I'm going to make this guy's name. He fits what I had my concept of a Fredneck, which at the time I you know I was saying he was kind of a the people that yell ow you know at rock concerts and stuff, <laughs> and you know, you know they're kind of freaks, but they had a redneck quality to them too. So I just said well let me come up with Fredneck, and so these are the and of course Waldo has an in a uh, prejudice against this type of person, so that was kind of a an, an eye-opening thing to have him meet somebody who you know he would normally hate, and then they kind of hit it off and become become fast friends. But um, and that's another element of my personality. Or I had a little Fredneck in me, I guess, at one time, so I could put put that down there too. So all these characters kind of come together, and Waldo's not used to being around anybody. He's certainly not used to having any female companionship. So when he meets this girl, I mean, he's and again, this was written a long time ago, and I, I originally wanted to make him younger than that. I just thought it would be more appropriate considered his uh, maturity level but I realized uh, times have changed a lot since uh, you know Brooke Shields made Pretty Baby you know <laughs> indeed. <laughs> that, indeed that would be kidding yes. more now so, so I had to kind of make a you know amends for that so but um, yeah it's just it's kind of a I don't know what you would, people could call it something, you know, to come up with some, what that search, what the search was, but it's kind of a, a sojourn across the country and kind of in and out of different dimensions, maybe even. So it's, but it's just a way for me to play around with a lot of things. And as you know, throughout the, throughout that, I have excerpts from journals and, and that was all from Dracula, Bram Stoker, because I, I thought I, I started trying to write my own vampire novel just like that in that style when I was like 14 because I 
it's the easiest way to write. I mean, it's really cool to just be able to write somebody's journal and then write somebody's diary. I, you know, it, it's pretty easy, but it just, I just love the way it read. And so I throw a lot of that in there too, where you can introduce other elements and kind of, that's the Vonnegut thing, going back and forth from one element to another. So I had this guy, Sam Hancock, who's, who's also disappeared and has been seen for a long time. So, and uh, the, I, the thought is that uh, his grandfather has, for some reason, it occurs to him that maybe his grandfather's gone out to Iowa. And I picked Iowa because, I don't know, Iowa's kind of the least recognized state in my mind. And you, and you see, as far as media, you know, now this was before true, Field. True. Was I, it's first, a true flyover state, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I figured, well, let me pick. And, you know, the characters joke about how, you know, what what television shows and movies are set in states other than New York and California, you know, that kind of thing. Right, We're, right. You know, it's, it's so I, I picked it that for the reason. And obviously, the, the cornfield, and of course, that became kind of uh, <clears throat> bigger in Field of Dreams. So yes. that was that, that came out later, you know, before when I started writing, and I didn't want to change it. I guess I could have changed it to an Idaho potato patch or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would have been uh, as uh, scenic in the readers' minds. And um, what, if someone were to say, I mean, what, is, what are you trying to tell us in this book? I mean, there's, there's the narrative, but what are you trying to tell us? Well, I think, uh, like any writer, I mean, I, I'm, I'm playing around with elements that, that appeal to me, but obviously, I uh, already I was uh, was a great believer that there are forces behind the scenes that are uh, that are running things, and I, I was also deeply influenced in this book by Illuminatus, the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea, that were written in the '70s, and. Um, that's that's very a lot of similarities to to the Unreals, where um, again it's a big sci-fi thing, and but they throw a lot of faction, and all my fiction has a lot of faction in it. I mean, in, in their book, they have George Washington being killed, and Adam Weishaupt, the founder of the Illuminati, yes. taking over, taking his place as the president. They have John Dillinger somehow being one of the one of the gunmen on the grassy knoll. I mean, <laughs> they have all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But so that kind of stuff appeals to me. So I think I was trying to. Hopefully, write entertaining um, uh, science fiction and play around with concepts. And again, science fiction as opposed to fiction lets you play around with the the, the, the laws of time and space. And that's I like to be in that niche. You know, I like to be where the Twilight Zone is. And but I could make points where you know I could talk about okay, make it obvious to the reader if they didn't know. Throw a few nuggets in about the JFK assassination and uh, other conspiracies that had happened at that point a ufo type of stuff so that the reader would get some knowledge and recognize well let me go check is this real and, and see that i wasn't because then anything i talk about for the most part is real other than you know i have the readers and i just kind of obviously come up with this and it was kind of a a play on where i was working for a very long time that sub-basement there was a sub-basement where i worked and i i did a I had good reason to imagine there was more to it than met the eye, so I just kind of expanded on that and made it this this other world down there. And then, as you know, the reader they eventually come to uh, meet some of the disappearing people that are kept there. And I have a the extremely untouchable ward. Is that the yes, <laughs> yes, the extremely untouchable ward. And that's you know the the main drag is Unconstitutional Avenue. You know that kind of thing <laughs> just kind of kind of plays on words, but uh, it's. Uh, you know, and I, I've actually started several years ago, Return of the Unreals, which uh, has promise, but again, with the nonfiction, it's kind of been on the back burner, and I completed a couple other novels, and I'll probably go to it at some point, but I'm not sure I'm not sure where to take it, although I, in, in the Return of the Unreals, I do introduce a character that I, I like a lot, and that's uh, 
from Alice in Wonderland, I, I actually introduced the real Alice, Alice Lydell, who is a real person that uh, Lewis Carroll based his character on, and I have her kind of join them for uh, another trip. And uh, so it's it's just kind of playing around with the laws of time and space, and um, th- it gives you much more freedom when you're writing uh, fiction. You know, when you're writing nonfiction, you got to be especially. I mean, I'm writing now for the American Free Press. I'm writing articles where I have to be very disciplined and keep to 800 words or whatever, and I can't really give too much opinion. And, um, you know, my blog, obviously, I can I can let out a lot more stuff. But um, but even in nonfiction that I write, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I you know, I, I, I make sure that I try to back up what I'm saying. I try not to, spe- even though I'm writing about really controversial stuff, I, I don't really speculate too much. Whereas in something like The Unreals, I can speculate. And... Um, you know, I can I can have several different speculations, and and I can combine what I, what I really wanted to do is I think I combine the worlds of science fiction with um, a lot of this forte and unexplained phenomena and the political stuff. So it kind of all crossed over and 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 turns into what I hope is an enjoyable read. It is. It's a remarkably broad canvas, and someone even made the comparison that uh, to Russian literature. Yes, yes, yeah, I was very impressed with that. I mean, and I, I was trying, you know, and that's, I, I'm probably, those of us that are writers at this time, we're, we're probably about 50 years too late, or at least 40 years too late, as far as any kind of broad readership, because people, there's just not that as many people that read books now as used to. But certainly with fiction, uh, writing liter literary type of fiction and that's the only kind of fiction I can write I don't I don't know any other way to do it because I'm, I'm trying to write what I you know what, when I'm writing I'm keeping in mind Charles Dickens and Orwell and these people that I, the kind of writing that I read because I didn't read you know Mick fiction I call it uh, that's popular now a lot of this 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 fast food fiction that's uh, that can be consumed quickly and there's no uh, careful uh, characterizations and the dialogue is kind of uh, it's not really thought out and there's it's very predictable politically correct the kind of stuff you'd watch on tv i can't write that stuff so when i write i'm writing what i hope i know is lit i know it's literary fiction but how many people are out there that uh are willing to read it now the people that have read the unreals i got a lot of really good feedback from it and uh but i I, i've been a little disappointed since the hidden history especially had a lot of success and survival of the riches had a lot of great critical acclaim um hasn't sold as well as i'd hoped but uh i i thought that i might get more crossover interest in the unreals because of my nonfiction, but i haven't i haven't got a whole lot of that so it's that's been a little disappointing so that's why i'm glad we can talk about it uh a little bit and hope that some people will go out and check it out because it's it really i mean i haven't made a lot of money on any of my writing even hidden history that's done really well but the unreals is especially frustrating because i've never been able to find out why but the there's if, if readers if listeners go and look for the unreals that they'll see on amazon there are two different versions there's the, the original version which has a white cover and that version is from the the publisher that's been defunct for i I don't know uh, close to 10 years or several years but so that publisher's gone the the contract is gone but somehow it still sells and i don't but i contacted amazon about it because i don't know who gets money for it but i don't get anything for it and the publisher doesn't because so but i understand people buying it because it's somehow available very cheaply and they're not used they have new ones i don't know where they're getting them from but there are other the other version the second version that i would hope people would buy i know it's pricier is um the uh the gray cover with the red writing and that's uh 
I will get something from that and the publisher will get something from that. But so it's it's a weird situation because Amazon couldn't explain it to me because I said, how I don't understand how it's selling. Where's the money going? And of course, you know, talking it's, to Amazon. It's going to someone in the extremely untouchable ward, no doubt. <laughs> That's what it seems like. So maybe it's probably fitting that, you know, the the unreals would have an unreal situation like that. Indeed. And so just look for the book with the, um, I'll call it the Salvador Dali pocket watch. Well, actually, they both have that because they, yeah. let, they let us keep that. So, but yeah, it's, but it's the one with the gray cover and not the white cover. That's the gray, the gray cover with the red lettering is the one that is, is the, it says second edition on it, but I understand it, people. I'd, I'd be happy if they read it, but you know, if you want to give me a little pocket change, uh, go for the gray cover, please. With the, the red gray red. cover, by all means, absolutely. Well, it's a it's a hidden gem. It deserves to be uh, it deserves to be uh, rediscovered, if you will. Uh, Don, thank you so much for this. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, this is the the Unreal's was published in two thousand and seven, and this is I've done lots and lots of interviews, as you know, and this is the first time I've uh, really uh, talked about this book. So I, I hope people check it out, and um, and hopefully, my I have some other fiction down the road that uh, that I think is uh, worthwhile, really worthwhile as well. That hopefully someone will see fit to publish that. Terrific. Talk again soon. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a little teaser for the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the star chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Be sure to be listening this Friday for a special look at the Mothman incident of November 1966 and other strange tales from mysterious West Virginia. Finally, he gets his panel truck to a stop. He's looking at this UFO. In front of him, a hatch opens. A man steps out. And Mr. Durnberger says, looks like any ordinary man on the street. You would not be, you look like everyone else. He said the guy was about six feet tall. However, he was all dressed in black. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.